We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by audible.com a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week we come to you from Medellin, Colombia, a very surprising place for most Americans. Not many Americans have come here, but more are coming now. And for those people who watch the show Narcos, you understand the history there. The home of a guy who was actually killed 25 years ago now. I've seen a city, this city, go through such a dramatic transformation in the last 25 years. But one of the people who's also seen it go through that is the author of The Moon Medellin and The Moon Columbia Guidebooks, Andrew Deere. I'm talking to him right now from Bogota. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Peter. How's it going? Good. I mean, you've, you know, you moved down there, what, 16 years ago. So you've seen all these changes and, and you got there just at the end of the, of the, well, seven years after the death of, uh, of uh, Mr. Escobar. Yeah. Um, I came down in 2002 and, you know, it's going to be a five-year plan, but I've ended up saying, what, 17 years or something. And um, it's incredible to think back then um, how, how the country was. I mean, at that point, um, there are so many parts of the country where 
you know, the question was, is it safe to go? Is it safe to go? Um, there were just a few pockets of, uh, of uh, tourist um, destinations that people will, were safe to, to visit. And it's completely opened up to the world since then. It really has. And, uh, and we're talking not just, you know, regionally. It's, it's opened up globally. Um, and, you know, depending on where you are in the city, you can still see, as you know, uh, the remnants of Mr. Escobar. Um, I went to the cemetery. I saw his grave. I couldn't believe they were still putting flowers on it. Um, you know, I saw the house where he lived, which I think the mayor is now going to implode soon. Um, right. I went to the house where he died. Um, and for those people who are binge watchers of Narcos, like I was, what was amazing about that particular location is that when they shot the movie, when they shot the TV series, and they did the scene of where he actually was shot and killed, they went back to the actual location and shot it right there at the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, now, I know the mayor is doing his best to try to uh, erase that memory from the, from the branding of the city, but in a certain way, I don't think it's, you, you can escape from it. No. Um, it's sort of a controversial thing to, to do the Pablo Escobar tour in Medellin. Um, <clears throat> a lot of backpackers like to do it. It's, it is interesting, and with narcos especially, you know, there's been a renewed interest in Pablo Escobar. But there's also other, other places of interest where you can kind of get a more step back and um, think about the, the victims of, of the conflict. Yep. Like they, um, a few years ago, they opened up the Museo de Casa de Memoria, which is really the first time in the country that they've opened up some kind of memorial or museum dedicated to the victims. And, yes, I think and, and in fact, Andrew, and in fact, we're going to be talking to that curator a little bit later in the show. Okay. Uh, it's an amazing museum, and it's free, by the way. People can just go. <laughs> uh, but then when you first came there, uh, if I'm not mistaken, people are still running around with bulletproof cars. Well, I, yeah, I did. <laughs> it seems crazy now. It seems really extravagant. But uh, uh, we moved down here, my partner and I, and that was the recommendation. Like, uh, you know, well, you got to get a bulletproof car, of course. And then, like, if you're going... Uh, to a restaurant or to your office, you know, take a different route every time, you know, just to be on the safe side. Thinking back, it's just now I don't, you know, think twice about that, of course. But, uh, you know, Andrew, can I ask a stupid question? Uh, here's my stupid sure. question. Hey, let's go move down to Columbia. And the first piece of advice you get is get a bulletproof car? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I like adventure, so. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. And you survived. But yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm assuming it, the uh, the thick glass windows of the bulletproof car are a thing of the past right now for you. Yeah, we got rid of that clunker, so now I just have a I walk and I ride my bike, and we have a Jetta. <laughs> well, you know the, the the bottom line for those people who don't know about this is bulletproof cars are terrible on gas mileage. They weigh uh, yeah. a little more. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. But here's what I've noticed: I've noticed uh, the infrastructure. Uh, has really changed. The architecture hasn't, thankfully. Uh, but the infrastructure has changed to the point where you can have a five-star dining experience and, and eat with, 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 uh, with global certainty, if you will. Yeah, um, particularly in, well, in, in both Bogota and Medellin. You know, just to let you know, um, people in Bogota are very envious of Medellin. You know, we, people in Bogota think they're superior to Medellin, you know, it's the second city. But secretly, we would all love to live in Medellin. I was just going to say uh, a real foodie culture has developed in the, in the big cities of Colombia and Medellin and um, Cartagena and Bogota and Cali also. So, um, you know, it's just been an explosion of, of flavors, um, international flavors, um, 
and then no longer, you know, the the, the um, people in Bogota would say dismissively that you know in in, Colombia, in Medellin they just eat beans and rice, you know. But but it's really evolved from there. It, it has, and in fact, I went to a dinner the other night at a restaurant called Carmen. I mean, it was spectacular, and and I, and it was a surprise to me because I have to tell you, I was I was stereotypically expecting a roscon pollo, and uh, they did a whole lot better. Yeah, that's that's one of the top rated restaurants in the country, really. And speaking of no longer having your bulletproof car, the cool thing about Medellin now they have a great mass transportation system. Yes, um, well, they're very proud of their city in Medellin, and you know, number one on the list is their, the metro that they've had for I don't know um, more than a decade or. 15 years or something like that. And, um, but not only that, they have um, introduced a um, streetcar system, a rapid bus system, and um, an innovative um, gondola system um, that connects some of the poorer communities up on the mountains around Medellin with the city. So it makes it makes it much easier for students getting to school instead of like a two-hour odyssey to get to their school. It's like a 15-minute um, trip in the, in the gondola soaring above the, the, the mountainside down to, down to the city. Yeah, the cable cars in, in Medellin, that was a big surprise to me, and I loved it. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, in Medellin, they kind of, they're very proud about getting things done. Uh, in Bogota, we... Um, we wring our hands about things, but uh, in Medellin, they, they get things done. They have that reputation. They do. And, you know, we're, we're speaking from the, from the Marriott here. I mean, when you take a look at the hotels that are opening and the hotels that are being run, they've got their act together now. And, and, and there's some new little boutique hotels that are opening up that in terms of design and in terms of, of use of, of uh, natural materials have really been cutting edge. Yeah. Um, yeah, before it was you know, just a um, mom and pop little guest house. And then, then the backpackers came and uh, with uh, hostels. And, uh, but now it's, uh, there's something for every budget and there's more, um, more thought put into um, construction, um, use of water, use, using uh, solar energy. Yeah. And the other thing that blew me away, which I wasn't expecting, is the parade of fruit juices. That's one of my favorite things about Colombia in general is is the fruits and the fresh fruit and fruit juices. And there's nothing better. You know, Medellin has a wonderful climate, um, warm um, all year round. And there's nothing better like uh, for a midday lunch to accompany your your paisa um, lunch with than a, than a fresh juice. And there's just a whole range of juices you can go, you know. The weird, like guanabana, which is sour stop, Lulo, all these strange uh, fruits that we don't have in the states, and the, and then they got guava, which of course you know count me in. Uh, the, the the thing that happened that I thought was so surprising is the other night when I was at the hotel, I had gotten in, I was tired, I didn't want to have a big dinner, so I called downstairs and I said, hey, just send me up a fruit plate. Oh my God, they sent me up like the entire produce section. I mean, it was unbelievable, and it was it was so nicely cut and arranged. Uh, that was another surprise. Yeah, actually, that's I like uh, I like to promote free things for tourists who come to Colombia. And one of the 
pleasures that I have is going to the supermarket and just checking out the, the produce and the fruit area. It's amazing. I do that, by the way, in every, in every country, in every city I go to. I yeah. do two things. I visit the firehouse. And I've talked about this many times on the show because they've been in everybody's house and restaurant and hotel. And I, I, I go to a supermarket because I want to see what, not just, you know, what I want to buy. I want to see what everybody else wants to buy, and then I want to try it. Yeah, and, you know, I would say 80% or, you know, higher is, is from around there, around Medellin. It's such a verdant and fertile region. It's true. Looking back, when you first came there in 2002 till today, what has been the biggest, other than the bulletproof car, Andrew, what's been the biggest surprise for you? Well, um, the biggest surprise, I think, is that, you know, people aren't, you know, five or ten years ago, you know, Colombia was definitely already turning the corner um, in much of the country. You know, I'm not going to... And say that there there's no violence and there's no um, you know social problems that we have because we do um, serious problems that we're working on, but um, you know why aren't more people coming here? <laughs> you know compared to Ecuador and Peru and of course in Mexico, it's just a, a drop in the bucket still. Total? I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. I come to Colombia, I'm reminded about how much I don't know. I'm also reminded about how much I presume, and then later find out I don't know. And uh, my next guest knows a little bit about everything, especially in terms of this city and in terms of its development, in terms of its design, in terms of its evolution, if you will. Alejandro Echeverri, who's an architect and urban planner and director at the university right here in Medellin. You heard my introduction. When people first come here, they're usually surprised, aren't they? Because they're not expecting the, the, the architecture that they're seeing. Yes. Uh, thank you, uh, Peter, for the invitation. It's an honor to, to be here. Yes, me, me, I am from Medellin, so I am not... Uh, um, so, so you've seen all this. I, love, me, seen all I the, love Medellin. No. But you've seen all the changes, <laughs> Yes, too. of course. So Medellin has this special combination of um, the geography. You know that it's a very valley with mountains and the topography is... is, is and this uh, combination of the life of the city and as well that you can see the changes. The, the, is, is, and the architecture and the process that the Medellin had and, and, and is, is going on is intense and is, co is complex, but at the same time is beautiful. So this is, is it makes an attractive city, I think so. In what way? Because you are in a real city. I, when I travel, I love to have in, in cities that has life, tension, intensity, maybe the, the, the beauty in different forms. And I found, I am from Medellin, so I am telling that, <laughs> and I find that Medellin is intense. You have uh, amazing people here, but at the same time, is is a city that is going very fast, and we had a very big problems before, and the thing, the city is changing, and the spirit of the city is changing, and the public space, the architecture, the cultural life now is very active. We are in a Latin American city. We, we have problems. We have problems of inequality, structural problems of inequality. So this is a real city. But you can you can have the experience and, and in, in, in my case, for example, I've been working with Medellin for a long time from the municipality before, from the government.
government and now yeah, from our center. No? It's a real city, I agree. Yeah. It's got its tensions, it's got its rhythm, it's got its flow, it's got its energy. And music, amazing. And music, yes. Yeah, yeah. That's never changed. Yeah, yes, that, that's never changed, yes. Um, you could understand the history of our city from very beautiful testimonies, films. For example, the films of Victor Gaviria, the filmmaker, he's from Medellin, are very strong, but you could, ha you could have the feeling and the, the taste how was the, the most complex moment of Medellin. And some novels as well, from uh, Fernando Vallejo, for example, or for uh, Alonso Salazar, who after he wrote some very, very beautiful novels and testimonies of Medellin, he became a mayor. So this, this is a city that has this combination of, of of people and, and, uh, and uh, yes, and the process that. What's the most surprising thing about Medellin? <clears throat> so it's a green city, but we still have a huge, ch big challenge to, to, to incorporate, to transform the, the green corridors and the natural, natural condition in, in, in the every public life. But the, the, um, I think the optim this, we, have a, we are a, a society that are very optimistic always thinking possibilities. Even, even in the most complex times of the history of Medellin, we always think that we, we, are, we are going forward. And this, this, this sense of belonging of the society is very powerful. You feel everywhere. I don't know if you, you have this opportunity, Peter, but it's everywhere. And you, know, you take a look even at this hotel. I would not have expected to find this hotel generally, except it's an indication of moving forward. Yeah. Yes, I, we, 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 in the past, we, we didn't have tourism in Medellin. No, nobody wanted to come here because the situation and the violence and so on. Now, now the situation is completely different. The economy is moving. And uh, at the same time, the physical transformation of the city is a very powerful indicator. So the design is today is a very, very strong uh, identity of Medellin. So, for example, in, in terms in terms of architecture, but yeah. in in terms of 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 of, of moda, no? of uh, tr uh, dress, uh, everything, everything. Yeah, we're talking to Alejandro. It's a very <coughs> architect, urban planner, and the director uh, at the university here. You know, take a look at even at this hotel. You know, if you look at what, what comes first, the chicken or the egg, the point is this hotel actually supports the boom in tourism now. I think so, yes, I think so. We have, like this hotel, we have others, but of course it's a represent, in some case, the moment. But one singularity about Medellin is that you have a, the most amazing designs and quality, even in the poorest areas. This is a very, and the best uh, transport systems that takes you even in the poorest areas of the north. And um, the programs of library parks that uh, with a national, international competition, looking for the best architects as well, the public spaces. And uh, so how to connect society and how to develop a, a, a more uh, beautiful and more quality point of encounter for the city. Well, not only do the locals have access to that because of your mass transit system, yeah. so do the visitors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have, we have a metro. We have um, integrated with the metro, we have a tramway system. 
And Medellin is as another, another uh, signature of Medellin is the innovation. So Medellin uh, starts a system that from telephericos to go up to the slopes. We're, we're talking about the, the ski lifts, if you will. Yeah, yeah. And, and this, this, this new system was the door to develop a lot of public policies and cultural programs in the, in, the, in the upper part of the city. Because those gondolas literally connect the communities now. Connect the community, connect the society, permit that the flows of work and economy happens, and give accessibility for everywhere. Plus they're fun. Yes, yes. And, Unless and you're fun. afraid of heights. And, and one thing, Peter... <laughs> One of the problems of some of the Latin American cities and other cities in the world in, rela in relation with the in inequality is the invisibility because you don't see other places in the city. So one thing that happens in Medellin is that you could, now you can access every, everywhere and with cultural activities, uh, activities and so on. So we still have problems. Most of the people and the territories are visible and accessible. If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I'm joined now by, by Victor Vasquez, who's the Regional Head of Development for Marriott International. What a coincidence you happen to be in a Marriott. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked. Uh, but one of the things that brought me down here was the South American Hotel Investment Conference to learn about, you know, a, a, a continent, if you will. And it's not really a continent because we're also including Latin America and the Caribbean as well. But a continent that was not forgotten but has not grown as fast as other continents, at least in terms of the public's perception of it. And yet you're growing rapidly, aren't you? In what sure. ways? Well, first of all, thank you for having me, Peter. Yeah. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, well, this this um, uh, continent, as we so call it, is is really um, as subcontinent of the we we'll, we call it the subcontinent of the Americas. Um, so um, we call uh, we call it Cala, and we call it anything that's south of the U.S. and includes the Caribbean. And it it really is a a mixed bag of circumstances and political situations at all times. Well, that's historic. <laughs> yes. So um, yes, I think. Uh, from the U.S. point of view, Mexico has not been forgotten. It's, a, it's, it's, it's very approachable. It's very near to... Uh, and Mexico's had a huge uh, economic uh, year in tourism, despite all the things you see in the press. I mean, occupancies are almost at all-time highs. Yes, it's a, it's proximity to the United States is, is, a, is a big plus. Uh, the further you get away from the U.S., the, uh, the, 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 the requirements to travel abroad and the unknowns uh, make it more difficult for some people to, to start traveling down south. And that's what makes um, the, the furthest points in South America less um, uh, familiar to most uh, travelers internationally. Now, uh, we see that the uh, international trends are favoring us because they uh, clients uh, now are have the curiosity. And, and why not explore places like Patagonia? Why not go to... Um, Peru to Machu Picchu. This is this is becoming, um, uh, as you say, it's, it's it's sort of an unknown and and a place to explore. And well, in the past, it was it was left to high end luxury travelers or adventure adventure seekers. Now it's becoming much more accessible. Well, <clears throat> you have the perfect example here. Where we're in Medellin. I mean, a few years ago, Medellin, Colombia, um, just a couple of decades ago, was a different Colombia. You you had a different perception of Colombia. Oh, let me tell you, I know. I mean. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't take much to, uh, uh, look, I, I was, okay, I was binge-watching Narcos, okay? Sorry. Yes. What, probably one of the most, uh, I mean, professionally produced television series I've ever seen. It was exquisite. And yet it told the story of murder and death and the cocaine trend. Yes. 
<clears throat> and, and, and this is, again, a, a good example of a country that has taken the right steps to transform their image internationally. And Colombia has now uh, repositioned itself. Uh, the, at least the perception that we see of Colombia more and more is that uh, people see um, Colombia as a destination for leisure travel and not only business travel. And, and, and therefore, you see the renaissance of uh, Cartagena and Medellin itself. And uh, those that come here, they go back home and they, 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 they tell the story. And not only that, you know, you, you take, you mentioned Cartagena, Cali is coming back, Medellin, Bogota, but then look at the map. They have coastal islands here in Colombia that are exquisite and nobody knows it. Yes, it's, um, the, the region is, is, is huge. It's a vast region. I mean, and you can, ex you can if, if you include Brazil here, which is a, a, a massive territory, you have lots of places to explore uh, from a hotel point of view, we, we see it as a land of opportunity. We see that uh, tourism is growing. Uh, people are becoming less and less, um, maybe the words, afraid of leaving home and exploring the world. And therefore, that uh, finding a, a, a brand, a hotel brand that they could recognize and they could stay at gives them a certain peace of mind that the destination they're going to is going to be more enjoyable. Um, just last year, for instance, we um, completed the signing of uh, uh, the third tribute hotel in Argentina. And we have those in, in relatively remote destinations. We have one in, in Mendoza and one in Bariloche. Well, Mendoza is not remote. It's the wine capital of the world, man. There are 880 wineries in, in western Argentina that make Napa Valley look like nothing. I mean, I'm telling you, this is a place you got to go. Absolutely. I, I had the privilege of, um, I, I was a general manager in Mendoza, so I know that region pretty well. Um, but I can tell you, it's difficult to get there for somebody who's only got a couple of days and a long weekend. That's, that's no, that long weekend's really tough. It's very difficult. But, you know, you fly to BA and then go to the domestic airport and fly up, to, fly up to Mendoza. It's only about, what, an hour and a half flight, maybe? Yeah. And that's that's the beauty of travel these days. Yeah. That you can If you plan accordingly and, and you have the, the place that you want to go and you sort out the uh, documents getting there, it's no longer as difficult as, as it was before. Now, exactly. if you add to these the fact that you are probably more familiar with the information about that place, and then you're familiar with the, the hotel you're staying at, you are in some ways in a good place to, to make that, to, to take that step. And you go. are. And, and for those listening to this program and for Herbert on previous shows, you're even in a better place now because of the currency fluctuations in Argentina. Talk about a buyer's market. The peso has been so devalued that the dollar has seven times the buying, the U.S. dollar has seven times the buying power that it had four months ago. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Now, that may not apply to necessarily hotel rates because you guys in the hotel business can adjust that in dollars. Same thing with airline fares. But everything else, local goods and services, what people pay for a tube of toothpaste or a taxi ride or a pair of shoes or a night on the town or an antique, wow, right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, um, the, the, the beauty of, a, of having a, a region with diversity and, and, and different situations for every country is that you can always find sometimes, relative to your own currency, you can find some advantages in, in travel. And that uh, doesn't mean plan ahead. It means adjusting quickly. Yes, exactly. And, and Colombia is one of, one of those examples. I mean, we've, we, we happen to be in Medellin again. Uh, we, we, are, uh, we celebrated yesterday the signing of a, a Moxie Hotel, the first 
Moxie Hotel another we signed. Another brand, yes. Another brand. It's the first one that we signed in the entire region, including the Caribbean. And it so happens to be in Medellin. Um, this, this, this hotel uh, will, will go through its uh, process to, to get built and, and opened. But we have 14 open hotels in, in Colombia. We We're talking to Victor Vasquez from Marriott International. Victor, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a statistic that completely floors me. It was given to me by your, your CEO, Arnie Sorensen, that Marriott is opening up one new hotel every 14 hours. Hilton's doing it one every 16 hours. IHG, one a day. This is staggering. It is. It is. Um, and those numbers hold up in South America as well? Well, South America is slightly different. I mean, the, the pace, it's always a balance between what you can achieve in Asia, what you can achieve in the States, what can you can achieve in, in Africa and, and, and Latin America. Um, Latin America is a huge territory, but with uh, great limitations in terms of financing. So um, the um, ability to grow as fast as, as we could in markets where you have access to, to, to bank loans, and, and sure. it's, it's slightly different. Well, let's dispel a myth. This is not about Marriott owning hotels. This is about Marriott developing and managing hotels. You have to deal with the owners. Exactly. And that's on a local level. If they don't have the money, you're not building a hotel. And um, I can tell you that the, um, the market has changed significantly. In uh, 20 years ago, uh, first of all, desti some destinations have become uh, also more uh, interesting to, to everyone, including like places far away, places like Bolivia. Uh, years ago, people wouldn't think of going to Bolivia unless you went on a, on a hiking trip or some uh, faraway destination. These days, owners even you places... own a pair of Birkenstocks. Well, we we could do that. Yes. Yeah, uh, and the thing is, uh, we rely on owners trusting a a brand primarily, so they can build a hotel that can be either franchised or managed by the uh, brand. We talked about Argentina. Uh, we talked a little bit about Brazil, but and Bolivia you mentioned. But there are so many countries here that aren't really on the radar, right? Uh, Uruguay, uh, Paraguay. The guys, <laughs> um, you know, we can't really, you know, we, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the elephant in the room, Venezuela, which is basically imploding. I mean, let's call it what it is. And yet, if you look at history and the cycle of history, I'm sure somewhere on your planning map is in three years, we're going to be back in Venezuela when things get better. I mean, it has to be. <clears throat> well, we have we have presence in 33 countries in the region. We have uh, 240 hotels, including in Venezuela. Uh, we don't operate in Venezuela. We refranchise in Venezuela from historically. I don't think any of your competitors operate in Venezuela either. I I think a couple of them. They I don't think they, they operate. They franchise. Yeah. Yes, uh, because of the reasons that we all know, it's difficult to um to to operate these days in a in a in a in a country that's going through a lot of difficulties. Um, but we uh, you mentioned Bolivia. I could mention places like Nicaragua. I could mention places like Guatemala, they're, they're, they're beautiful destinations in themselves. And they and have people don't realize Nicaragua's got a seacoast. Yes. And uh, Nicaragua was... So does Guatemala, by the way. Yeah, Nobody knows. And Guatemala, is, I, is, I think, is one of the best kept secrets in the region. It, it, it really contains, in a small territory, it contains lots of wonderful things to visit. So our, our ability to, to expand, as you were saying, with local owners and, and, and deliver our brand and our brand promises, uh, we have um, a strong pipeline. We have 100... Uh, 20 odd hotels in the pipeline that we will open in the next few years and that that really allows us to grow with with the time with uh, travelers looking for new experiences and as we add new brands to our portfolio and we uh, uh, 
launch these brands in the portfolio like we're doing with Moxine. And by the way, Columbia. I can't keep up with the number of your brands. How many are there now? We have 30 brands. 19 <laughs> of them nine, 19, 19 of them are present in, in, in Latin America and the Caribbean. Wow. And uh, we, we're introducing Moxie now. And Moxie is, we think, it's going to be, um, it, could, it has all the, the, the potential to be a huge success. Now, that's a lifestyle brand. It is a lifestyle brand. It it offers uh, again for the uh, for the investors, the local investors. It offers s- several advantages. One of them is that we are uh, containing the cost to build that product uh, while delivering a very exciting experience. Let's talk about that. I mean, we're going to get deep down into, into the weeds on this one, but most people don't understand hotel financing. It took me a while to figure it out too. And that is, if you want to know what your room rate's all about, you got to go back into how much it actually cost them to build a room on an average per room. So so correct me if I'm wrong, Victor, but if it costs you $100,000 to build a hotel room, then the minimum rate you're going to charge your guests is $100 a night. It's usually one-tenth of 1%, usually. Well, that's a, that's a good rule of thumb that doesn't necessarily apply to all markets, but it's of a, it's course a good not. one. I knew you were going to correct me. Go ahead. Yes. It's just a, it's just a good way to 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 relate brand and um, and cost to build and rate that but you can accomplish. That's really what point, it is. If it's going to cost you $80,000 to build the room, then the room rate will reflect the fact that you save some money in the cost. Yeah, so let's, let's go back to, to one basic, which is a hotel will not dictate the rate. The market drives the rate for the market. So, But if you overbuild to the market, you're exactly. screwed. There you go. So you, sometimes you can be a, a leader in the market and you can introduce a new brand. So some, some markets introduce luxury products for the first time, so they need to drive that rate up. So it does happen, but for the most part, you build according to the to the um, to the rate that you can accomplish relative to the brand that you and uh, you better keep those costs at that specific level so you can achieve the returns that you're expecting. Well, the key here is if you don't understand the market, don't, don't get in it. Exactly. Because you're gonna you're gonna end up getting well, you're not gonna make it work. Well, we 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 have the. Um, we, we, we rely on, on, obviously, consultants in the region, but we are also um, have our own team that allows us to l- assess and look at projects and help owners make those decisions. One of the virtues of having 30 brands is that you have... A, you have 30 a, opportunities to make oh, a mistake. Exactly. Well, no, not quite. <laughs> I think it's to make it right. For the you owner. know what I'm saying. Yeah, so, for instance, I, look, going back to the Moxie, I think it's, it's a huge coincidence that we're able to sign a Moxie in Medellin when we're in this uh, investment conference in Medellin. Okay, but let me ask you, really yes. stupid question. What's the difference between a Moxie and a W? Well, it's I think it has to do with the price point, but you said it before. It's the how much are you going to invest in a Moxie relative to a W? A W is a hotel that will require uh, a lot of common areas and will require perhaps a spa and, and a couple a of restaurants. Scene and a whole uh, yes, and a Moxie won't won't require you to do it. You don't have conference uh, space at a, at a Moxie, so your costs are going to be reduced and your, your room size is going to be more... Um, uh, Can I say the word? Small? No, I would, I would, I would say it's it's more um, it's designed accordingly to the amount of time that you're going to spend in that space. And okay, we're, designing we're talking Moxie. smaller. It's smaller. It's okay. smaller, definitely. Yeah. Not small, but I would say it's smaller, definitely, because relative, it's all relative to something, obviously. Right. So if. But then again, I always argue, how much time do you spend in your room anyway, other than showering and sleeping? I mean, literally. And there again, it has to do with the, with the brand you're staying at. So if you're staying for a business conference and you plan to sit down at a desk and take lots of calls and maybe you need more space. But if you're so going now we're talking residents in, or or maybe it's you're going to a Westin or a uh, uh, or a Marriott hotel where you need, where you have a proper desk and right. you, where at a Moxie you're more you're expected to spend less time at the room and more time in the common area. So basically fun, enough room exciting. for you and your iPad. Uh, pretty much.
with no particular place to go. Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. Most of you have never been to Medellin. My next guest had never been to Medellin until he decided to come basically because he was looking for another place to hang out and vacation. From Dallas, Texas, he's actually the founder and editor-in-chief at the MedellinGuru.com. Jeff Paschke, how are you? I'm doing good. So you're sitting home in Dallas one day saying, i got to get out of here, and what were your choices? So, so basically, I, I ran across this book that was published by Life Magazine. You're dating yourself. <laughs> yes, I know. But basically, it was the top 100 places to see in a lifetime. And I was looking to go play someplace warm, and two places in that book caught my eye. Cartagena, Colombia, and Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. And I decided to go to Cartagena because it was closer and cheaper. And then from Cartagena, you came here. So, so, so basically what happened, I went to Cartagena, had a fantastic time, and went back on vacation and brought some friends with me. But I met some expats in Cartagena that said, well, if you like Cartagena, you need to go to Medellin. That's how I discovered Medellin. And you've been here now for what, eight years? Over eight years. Wow. And there's so much about the city that most visitors don't know. You've been stereotyped, I know, because of our friend Mr. Escobar, uh, although that was one way to see the city, I suppose. <laughs> so, so, so basically, Medellin still has a challenge to overcome. You know, if, uh, Americans, when they hear, the, hear Medellin, they think of narcos and Pablo Escobar, and that's actually 25 years ago. Medellin has had a remarkable turnaround in, that, in, in the past couple decades, and it's a completely different place. In what uh, ways is it different? Um, for example, uh, Medellin a few years ago was named the most innovative city in the entire world, even. Um, so it's, it does a lot of, a lot of things that are, that are relatively unique. Uh, Give me an example. They invested in transportation uh, to some of the poor neighborhoods that are up the hills in, in Medellin. So they have cable cars that they use for transportation to better integrate the poor neighborhoods into the places where there's jobs. Pretty cool. Yes. And they've got a pretty good mass transit system. Yes. It's it, one of the things that attracted me to Medellin when I first came here. Uh, it's very easy to live here without a car, with the, with the, the cheap and inexpensive metro that goes everywhere, cheap buses, and cheap taxis. Well, speaking of cheap taxis... You know, I always look at a place for, does it have a high standard of living? And the best combination, of course, is does it have a low cost of living? Here you have a low cost of living. Exactly. And that's, the, uh, that's one of the I other things. I took an Uber here yeah. today. Mm -hmm. You know what it was? Take a guess. $5. $2.80. <laughs> in New York, you burp in a cab and it's $16. So, I mean, that is a good indication of how much else you're going to be spending with a differential. Mm-hmm. That. Cost of living is one of the things that attracted me to Medellin, but the first thing that really attracted me was the, the climate. Um, Medellin is known as the city of eternal spring, and it has basically the same temperature range all year round. So you're not wearing sweaters? No. No sweaters. Uh, some occasionally shorts, um, but the, you know, I, I, no air conditioning, no heating required. Perfect. Now, here's the question, though. This is my, my understanding of, of 
not just Medellin, but maybe Colombia. Things do take a little longer to get done here. <laughs> That's one of the downsides is that... <laughs> I'm glad I mentioned that, yeah. You know, no place is perfect. Right. Um, and it's not just Medellin, and it's not just Colombia. Um, things take longer. Uh, you need to kind of lower your expectations. When I first started uh, furnishing an apartment here, you know, I'd buy something and they'd promise it in two days, didn't show up for a week. <laughs> right. Well, you were, you were styling. Uh, but the other cool thing about coming here is you can come to Colombia for up to 180 days without having to get a visa. Exactly. So uh, for people who want to come down here and have an extended vacation, it's totally doable. And that's actually what I did the first three years that I was living here. I split my time between Dallas and Medellin. I was re working remotely from my house in, in Dallas, and there was no difference working remotely from Medellin. Uh, same time zone. Same time zone. The Central. With voice over IP, the same phone number even. What do I do to hang out here where I'm actually going to be able to immerse myself in the local culture and not just take the Pablo Escobar tour? Mm -hmm. So there's there's a couple of things. One one thing I'd recommend doing is trying the local cu cuisine. Well, you don't have a choice. I'm not <laughs> actually, go, I don't actually, want to go to Burger King. Actually, you do have a choice. Uh, Medellin's a big city, uh, about 4 million in the metro area. So there's actually a very wide I know you can get a restaurant. pizza here. I know you can get, you can get sushi here. Uh -huh. But when you say local cuisine, you know, when I'm in Peru, it's, it's, it's guinea pig. Mm -hmm. So what is it here? So here there's a variety of local cuisines, and one of my, one of my favorite restaurants to bring visitors, visitors to is, uh, is a restaurant named El Rancherito. And so basically this is, a, this is a restaurant that has a huge menu of local cu cuisine, the, the comida tipica uh, in, in Colombia. And so you can have things from Bandajai Paisa, which is a very common uh, dish here. Which in, is what? Which is a huge plate of, of meat, rice, um, beans. Uh, it, it's basically a very filling meal. Uh, and it was, attend it was originally intended for the ranchers um, to have a big, big lunchtime meal. Um, but this is a huge plate, and after you eat that, you want to go take a nap. <laughs> well, you, you have to go take a nap. <laughs> exactly. All right. So, but what else would I order? What else? Um, so so Colombia also has a number of very good soups. Um, they're probably one of, the, one of the most interesting is one called mandango soup, which is, which is basically tripe. <laughs> It sounds like a bad B movie from the 70s, Mondongo soup. <laughs> but actually, it's pretty good. Uh, well, you, you either call it Mondongo or a tripe. I don't feel like I want to eat it. <laughs> can I pass on that one? You can pass on that one. Okay, good. Keep going. Um, you mentioned soup. Is there another kind of soup? So, so there are a number of other soups, but I'd also recommend trying... One of my favorite dishes here in Colombia is actually from the coast, which is, they, is, is fried fish. Now and, we're talking... And, and they actually fry the entire fish. Um, and so, can you eat the whole fish? <laughs> the certain, of course, you don't eat the bones. I know, and, but sometimes when they, mm -hmm. when they cook it that mm -hmm. deep, you do. Yeah, yeah but it's, it's, it's something that, that's pretty unique here in Colombia, which I haven't seen in other countries, where they actually fry the entire fish. Now, I mentioned Pablo Escobar, so I have mm -hmm. to mention him again. Very funny story that the mayor of Medellin hates the idea of, of the name anymore of Pablo Escobar. There used to be a number of tours here, the official Pablo Escobar tours. You could go to his ranch and see the shot-out cars. You could go to where he lived, where he tried to bury the money, where he got shot up, where he died. And now they, they basically said, the mayor said, no, I don't want to do that. 
So it's, it's actually interesting on my Medellin Guru site. I have a couple articles about uh, Pablo Escobar, one about his grave and a one, another one about... Can I make an admission? I went there yesterday. <laughs> yeah. I did. They're still putting flowers on it. Yeah, it's pretty sad. <laughs> He's still a hero to some people. He, he is still a, a hero to some, some people, but it's really, it's really sad that a lot of the expats that come to Medellin, that's one of the first things they want to do. They want to go on a Pablo Escobar tour. Um, but the, the, you know, you mean they... guys like me, <laughs> <laughs> I had to go. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, for a guy who binge watched Narcos, I just had to see it for mm-hmm. myself. But the point is when I got there, I wasn't alone. Number one. And number two, there were flowers on his grave. And, and my guide was telling me, uh, by the way, this is not an official Pablo Escobar tour, by the way, we just did this. We freelanced this one, mm-hmm. but he was telling me people are there every day putting flowers on this guy's grave. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Um, I, I actually had never been in eight years until... Um, One of your friends showed up? No, until, until some of the readers of the Medellin Guru site said, well, ask questions, and I finally went and wrote an article about it. And I called it an unfortunate tourist uh, site. I think, you're, I think you're right. I think you're right. And we also went to see his Monaco house, mm-hmm. which uh, rumor has it he, all the stones came from, all the, all the, you know, from Monaco, my understanding is the city's going to implode it. Yeah, that's scheduled early next year, I believe. Yeah. Um, and, and another thing is the city just shut down a, there was a Pablo Escobar museum uh, here in Medellin. Run and, by his brother, I think. Exactly. Yeah. And the, the city just shut it down, actually. Wow. And yet you would think, if you go to Vegas, what do they have? The Mob Museum. Mm-hmm. You, go to, you go to Berlin, you can tour, you know, the Führer Bunker. Um, I would think that I understand why the mayor doesn't want to, you know, promote that legacy, but it's almost inescapable. It, it really is inescapable, and and basically, um, it's something something that Medellin still has still struggles with. Um, but it's part of the history of the city. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. Joining me now, I could call her an expat now. Uh, she's uh, she's an American journalist here in Medellin who writes for Columbia Reports. Megan Janetsky, how are you? Hi, how are you? I'm good. You Arizona transplant, you. <laughs> so, what brought you here? Um, I was always interested in doing international reporting. Did some in Mexico a couple years ago, and um, in Arizona, I was drawn to the border in Mexico. So I was also really, really drawn to, especially here, the Venezuelan immigration crisis in Colombia. And Medellin has a very interesting story just in terms of a long history of violence and now um, the, the city shifting into a more modern and different Medellin. And what are you seeing? I mean, I'm seeing, it's really interesting because a lot of the people I talk to... Because I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yeah. jump in. I'm going to presume you had some preconceptions. I mean, yes, I, I, I know I knew people who were here, and I like I think everybody has preconceptions or quite a few people before like getting to know the country and doing research. Of course, like Colombia, like for instance, when I told my father that I was moving to Colombia, whoops. whoops. 
Yeah, like a lot of a lot of Americans have this like um, kind of ingrained stereotype um, of Colombia that is very not true and and uh, comes from you know the violence in the eighties with Pablo Escobar. But um, I, as a reporter here, I'm trying to kind of turn that narrative. And how are things with Dad? With turning the narrative? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think I think it's changing. It has been changing in like the past couple of years through word of mouth and like media, like like this, like conversations about the country, about how Medellin is a largely peaceful place, a very cool place. Um, well, I'll, so. I'll, I'll I'll be devil's advocate. You're mm-hmm. an American woman. You're here by yourself. Mm-hmm. Do you feel unsafe? Do you feel threatened? No, no, I've never felt unsafe. Right, and and you could be streetwise anywhere. So. Yeah. Yeah. So when you talk to your friends, forget forget dad for a second. But when you talk to your friends, I'm assuming that that they have some preconceptions as well. Some of them might think you're a little little nuts to come down here until, of course, they get down here and see for themselves. I mean, I, I would say that's accurate. I would also say mo- most of my friends tend to want to do international work generally. So, so they're, I think they're in they the same in the, come same, with. In the yeah. same sphere. I got you. <laughs> yeah. All right. So other than what we just talked about, when you got down here, what was the biggest surprise to you? Hmm, that's hard. I think it was because um, I'd been to Mexico, and it's very similar, but I think... And um, Mexico's taking the heat in the press, too, you know, about gang violence and drug violence yeah. um, and murders. I mean, they, they certainly have their fair share of that, but it's gang to gang. It's not directed at, at American tourists. Yeah, I would say I would say the the um, the thing that's similar between the two countries is how friendly friendly and kind people are. Like I I mean I lived in Washington D.C. where for for a time and like one time I like pet someone's dog and like asked their name on the street and someone was like Where are you from? Uh, like clearly you're not from here because you're talking to people on the street versus <laughs> here where you talk to everybody on the street and it's just it's my favorite part of Colombia and Latin America. Listen, any destination that encourages conversation, count me in. <laughs> right? Yeah, I would agree. Um, what about living here? Because I, I look at a place, one of my metrics for anywhere I want to live is, does it have a high standard of living and a low cost of living? If it has those two things, wow, I can't wait to go. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I live Poblano, the neighborhood where I'm kind of in is, um, I, there's like a higher cost of living, but the neighborhood I live in, for example, like Laureles, um, it, it, it has a lower cost of living and it's by like many locals and you really get to know the culture better. I mean, give me some comparative prices. Cause I always, I always gauge the real cost of living by how much does a tube of toothpaste cost? How much does a Big Mac cost? If you eat that stuff, uh, how much does a taxi ride cost mm. or a pair of shoes? Mm. And you know, I took a taxi here yesterday. I took an Uber here today. It was like $2 and 90 cents. I'm like, yeah. oh, really? <laughs> wow. Count me in. Yeah. Um, for example, um, there's a market, a big, like kind of open air market, um, by my home where if you go there for lunch, um, it's run by the Venezuelan family. You can get a giant plate of soup, um, some sort of meat, uh, rice and a salad. Okay. Wait, stop right there. Please don't describe the menu as some (laughs) sort of meat. No, it's, it's like, um, well, you can pick, like you can pick. Um, uh, chicken. I, okay, now beef, we're now we're getting closer. Like okay. just just the best food you'll ever have, and including juice for like um, a diez mil, so um, like less than three dollars. Wow. Uh, maybe that yeah, like about three dollars. I can live with that. Yeah. And you can live with that. 
oh, I can definitely live with that. Okay, let's flip it over. What's most expensive here that you weren't expecting? Oh, um, I've I brought it with me, but I've heard sunscreen is very expensive. <laughs> and um, I, I know that's a very duly noted thing. And you can't find good cheese. Like it's I I am like I'm a cheese fanatic. By I am yes. So like if I could have like brie and like a baguette for every single meal, I would be very content. And it's both difficult to find um, good bread and good good like like Italiany like bougie cheese. Yeah. Uh, excuse it's, me. It's you're my in vice. Medellin, Colombia. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you look on, on the website, it doesn't say cheese capital of South America. <laughs> it does not. It they doesn't. have a lot of cheese. They have, the, like, like they have, like, Latin American cheese, but it's That's not, not no. the same. Although, I will tell you, if you go down to Argentina, um, at the Park Hyatt there, they have a cheese sommelier. Ooh. And I'm telling you, you haven't lived until you had the Argentinian cheese paired with the wines. Okay, that sounds amazing. It is. You should go. Okay. And I right now, that. by the way, speaking of cost of living, yeah. the Argentinian pesos become so devalued against the U.S. dollar. You got a seven times marketing uh, uh, advantage uh, in terms of buying power than wow. you had only three months ago. Oh. Oh yeah. The, the the peso three months ago was sort of like five point seven of the dollar. It's now thirty five to the dollar. Mm. I mean, do the math. Even I can, who failed math, can do that math. <laughs> and. What a great time to go down there. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. All right, so I'm sorry about the cheese in Colombia. No, it's, it's a sad time in my life. Not yeah. not really, but that specific facet, yes. Okay, so your next report is going to be lamenting cheese, is that it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Last but not least, our friend Mr. Escobar, dead for 25 years, mm -hmm. but still very much alive in this town in terms of his folk hero status mm -hmm. among so many people. Yeah, it's interesting. There's actually kind of a problem that's arisen now because of this Netflix show, Narcos, where um, people are getting drawn. One of my favorite shows. Oh, yeah. It's, it, well, people are getting drawn to the, um, the country because of it, but it's caused a lot of problems. There's specifically like narco tourism and like people. There are people here who have lived through this violence and like for a lot of a lot of people who visit it's a game it's this like cinematic just thing out of a movie but then there are people like i've met people who are like my aunt has been kidnapped by like the cartel we're talking real stories yes should there be a rapid change in cabin pressure oxygen masks will automatically drop from the compartment above your seat free of charge and to start the flow of oxygen, pay your flight attendant $75.63. For those of you who are being, you know, who are binge affected with shows like Narcos, you probably don't think there's any culture in Medellin. Well, you're wrong. In fact, there are many museums. A little bit later in the show, we're going to talk about uh, the, the museum the Museo Casa de la Memoria, but, and by the way, it's a free museum open from Tuesdays to Saturdays, but first, let's talk to the head curator of the Medellin Museum of Modern Art, Emiliano Velez. How are you? Hello, I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, I mean, every city has a culture. Every country has a culture. Um, and sometimes that culture gets overlooked because of misbranding, if you will, of, you know, you mentioned, Medi you mentioned Medellin to most Americans, and they think they're going to get shot in the streets. What they don't realize is that Pablo Escobar was killed 25 years ago. Right. Now, you've been here how long? 
I've been here for nearly four years. Right. And you came here because there's a great museum here called the Museum of Modern Art in Medellin. You're the head curator. That's correct. A society expresses itself through its art. I'm assuming that some of the modern art here expresses that period of time as well. Absolutely. So the museum was founded in 78 by a group of artists and intellectuals and, and citizens. Um, and throughout even the worst years of Medellin, which as um, you all know too well, the 80s and the 90s were very rough. But even through those years, the museum um, really strived to keep close to the artists and what were they, they were producing. Um, I think there was a lot of um, referring to those aesthetics, um, often in a, in a, in a non-overt way. Um, but I think it's undeniable that a lot of at least the aesthetics that were managed um, by you know the narcos and how that permeated into society went into their into their artworks and you display it we do absolutely yeah we strive to keep a very close connection with the artists from the city but also um, about three years ago we opened a new building which triplicated the museum's capacity and that also gave us the opportunity to engage in broader dialogues some of which have to do of course with the with the you know the history of the cities and the and the societies that, that produce the art that we're showing but all, but also sometimes we don't so we try to keep like an open agenda in which the history of the city is discussed um, in relationships to also broader topics. But you're also really talking about Colombian art of the 21st century. We are, and in fact we're preparing uh, a large group show uh, which is going to showcase uh, two decades of contemporary art um, in Colombia, starting from 2000 to 2019. The exhibition opens next March, um, and we're very much looking forward to that because we also assume that some of these topics that we're discussing previously are going to um, come forward in that exhibition. What would you say is, is for some somebody visiting the museum for the first time what would be their biggest surprise what they're not expecting to see well I would I would like to think we have a, a cutting edge contemporary um, art exhibitions program which is not something that people necessarily know I mean they can find here artists that are showing anywhere in the world right now but at the same time we have a very strong collection of uh, Antioqueño um, artists one of the one of the I would say most relevant or one of the largest collection is by Deborah Arango Deborah Arango was this uh, Medellin born um, really um, innovative uh, woman who for very long was sort of cut out of the main artistic circles because of her incisive comments on religion and politics and because she was the first woman who depicted other naked women, which of course at the time in a very conservative society was a, a no-no. Okay, I'm going. <laughs> no, but, but the bottom line is you, you have the outside artists, really. These, these are the outside artists who are now coming in. Yeah, I mean, I think Medellin, as you might know, is a city that for for a long time has been sort of very inward looking, and we're really trying to put in, we're really trying to connect the art that's being produced here with um, art that's being produced elsewhere, as to create connections and dialogues. Because finally, human experiencers, even if they're very different, um, that human component can you can relate through that, and I think that's something that that sort of uh, boasts or, or, or powers uh, both what is being produced here and what has been done outside. Well, at the end of the day, it really all gets down to the conversation, doesn't it? It does, yeah, and, it, and I think it gets, it, it also comes down to the perspective from which you look at things, and in that sense, I think we, we um, try to provide people with as much context as possible, so that whenever you're looking at a work, you know you have elements to read into it, and, and to maybe compare it with your own experience. Well, the story that you just told me about the woman artist who was painting, you know, doing something that was not unheard of at the time, when I go to the museum, is there something there that explains that in context to me? Yeah, so right now we have uh, uh, the hang of our permanent collection, which uh, varies about once a year. Um, it's an exhibition called Contra Relatos in La Colección Mam, which translates to counter stories in the Mam collection. And the idea is to keep a sort of like the side B of uh, the history of our collection. And in that exhibition, of course, somebody that was so uh, disruptive has a very important place. Well, 
in a world of disruption, modern art has its place. I would like to think so, yeah. And we'd like to think that art is a space, is a, is a place where, where you can really try to dig into things that you're not allowed to do um, anywhere else because there are a lot more barriers in the world that they're in the... Come know? fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me. My next guest knows let's a lot about fly, this city because she's the director away. of the Museo Casa de la Memoria. And uh, every city tells a story. Every city has a history. And unfortunately, sometimes the history is marred or just it's sort of like skews to one corner because you may have heard just only one thing about it. But there's so much history in this city. So better to talk to Adriana Valderrama, who is the yeah. who is the basically the director of the museum. Mm -hmm. Welcome to the show. Okay, thank Thank you. Well, Thank you, you, heard my, you heard my introduction. Yes, You know, I did. most people who come down here, at least the Americans, who've been addicted to shows like Narcos, all they want to do is talk about, you know, Mr. Escobar. Mm -hmm. But there's so much more. Exactly. And that's exactly the work we do. We work in our exhibitions and our research to be able to build like a narrative as plural and inclusive as possible. To tell you stories. Know, exactly. We the, the story of the city. The story, and it's an old city. Uh, Medellin is an old city, but we also have certain uh, exhibitions where we point out certain time of history that we think is important to uh, go through again to understand better the present. So well, when there's you the talk old saying that if you can't remember the past, you're doomed to repeat it. Exactly. We've been working uh, for the last two years in the exhibition that we have at, at the moment that is called Medellin 70s, 80s, and 90s because it's exactly the time where all this problem with narcotraffic, Pablo Escobar, mafia, cartels, and all that kind of violence happened here in Medellin. So we decided to go back into that temporality to be able to create a narrative that is inclusive, is not a monologue, uh, is not being built to be um, publicity or to right. make money out of it. And, it's and basic, you're not taking sides, you're just taking, no, telling a story. No, exactly. We're plural. And we build our narratives within the territory of Medellin. We work with the social organizations, with leaders, with the cultural um, sport areas, we also work with the you know private sector. We we are part of the public sector sector itself. And what we're trying to do is to create a, you know an exhibition that at the end turns to be like a pedagogy tool for us to have a you know reflection uh, with our visitors about what you, you know the through. past yes. and the present and to understand that we, the way that I like to think about it is to put things into the real perspective and to realize that Pablo Escobar is not exactly the, the guy or the character that is being built through the cinemas or more, you know, public entertaining. And yes, um, and, and yet he is still considered by so many here to be some somewhat of a folk hero because at one point with all of his bad money, mm -hmm. he was building houses and he was support, uh, supporting a football team and things that you'd never expect anybody with that kind of visibility to even want to do. Exactly, but I think it's a misunderstanding as well about those acts. I mean, he was giving houses away, but the real purpose of giving those houses away was to be able to buy people of conscious course. and to youth people and junks. Well, to we have a saying, there's him. no such thing as a free house. Exactly. <laughs> so that's exactly what we do. We, we're more critical about the narrative. We, we don't stay like in the surface. We will go deep.
deep. We bring proof, we use the archives, we use the testimonies of people that were affected directly by this conflict. And basically, we are not putting our lights on Pablo Escobar. We're trying to put the lights in another kind of leaders and people that was able to resist and to keep against this character, which and, wasn't and at, the same, as and at the same time, keep the fabric of the city together. Exactly. At the same time, we work uh, through this process to be able to reveal, as you say, you know, the wood, um, you know, the social wooding, and to be able to uh, have spaces for reconciliation and to understanding and to listening and to be able to create like an open and inclusive narrative about the city, the past, the present, and to think about a communal future. Well, that, that asks the question for me at least, has there been a reconciliation? Well, I guess yes. Medellin, if you go back, Medellin is a city where we are plenty of demobilized people from different organizations and in different processes. And we also have a lot of victims and we also have civil society and we all, you know, share spaces in the city. I'm not saying it's perfect or it's done. It's a work in progress. Exactly. But it is what it is. We're the city in the world with the higher number of people that is being demobilized and actually the city in Colombia with the higher number of direct victims of the conflict. You know, not just about narco-traffic, because narco-traffic is one aspect of our conflict. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast on the new location somewhere around the world. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Some puzzles are hard to solve. Others are hard to prove. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Access episodes early and ad-free with 48 Hours Plus on Apple Podcasts. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Varian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them? and not the man pulling the strings. Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.